This is The Neutral Position, hosted by Nick Palmashano, Bringing honesty and reason back into conversation. Here's your host, Nick Palmashano. Unpleasant or repulsive, especially in appearance. Adjective. The word is ugly. No, we're not trying to describe your mom or that terrible spring break decision you made back in the day. We're talking about the most heinous, eye-bending, gag-inducing, dog-chew on the planet. We're talking about ugly chews. To you and me, ugly chews are nothing to look at. You see, when you take cowhide, clean it by hand, and sun-cure it with no chemicals, it doesn't look like a cute dog bone or rawhide, but it also doesn't sit in your dog's stomach forever or cause digestion issues. So while we see a hairy mess that we don't want to touch in any way, shape, or form, your dog, the natural predator that he or she is, yes, even Mitzi the toy poodle has some wolf DNA in there. That dog just sees gorgeous, delicious, healthy nature. So when you're at the pet store scanning the aisle or you're online ordering the next tasty morsel for your canine companion to gnaw on, are you buying that cute bone or that rubber toy for you or for your dog? Because in your dog's world, that pretty, chemical-filled, tied-in-an-adorable-bow treat is a 6 out of 10. Tops. It's fine. It'll do. But it doesn't inspire. Why? Because to your dog, it's not natural at all. It's foreign. It's manufactured. It's a frozen dinner when you really want a perfectly cooked steak. In short, it's just not ugly enough. So if you want to give your dog the experience of a lifetime while Dreamweaver plays and the world moves in glorious slow motion then get your dog an Ugly Chew at UglyChews.com. That's UglyChews.com. Hey guys, I'm Nick Palmashano, and this is The Neutral Position. Today we have Mike Machiavello, wrestler extraordinaire, actor, lover, fighter. Mike, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I guess I'll just start with is born in North Carolina. It's a great state. Great favorite state by far. And then uh, was born inside of, outside of the Charlotte area. I've lived in Raleigh since 2010, 2013. And then um, <clears throat> been competing at the Olympic level since 2018. And now just kind of going to finish up this Olympic cycle and transition to the next thing, whether that's uh, fighting or um, coaching or who knows, you know, so, but yeah, I'm excited for kind of to close up this chapter of my life and get ready for the next thing. But yeah, that's where I'll start. So, you know, we ask all guests, you know, what do you want to talk about? And I was expecting you to to tell me that you wanted to talk about wrestling and, you know, fighting and the stuff yeah. that, you know, and you were like, you know, the duality of man, you know, <laughs> like, is truth uh, a real thing anymore or is it all subjective? <laughs> And, you know, yeah. China and U.S. relations, which I'm game for. But right. before we do that, right. I think we have to at least start talking about wrestling. Yeah, let's do it. How'd you get into wrestling? So I actually didn't want to wrestle. Um, I had a football coach. Was so it I, the singlets? It was the singlets. <laughs> I was like, I ain't wearing them things. You got this leotard-looking thing that's real yeah. tight to your body. You're yeah. in a gym with a bunch of guys, and it's just kind of like... I'm going to stick with football, you know? <laughs> so I was a, a football player and a soccer player first. And then I remember I had a football coach kind of suggest to me, hey, you should try out for wrestling. I think you'd do really well. I'm like, ah, no, nah, I'm all right. And I remember it was eighth grade. 
uh, football season and it was kind of nearing towards the end. And I had a teammate who's from Pennsylvania, which obviously Pennsylvania is a hotbed for wrestling. They have yep. a deep, rich culture of wrestling. And uh, his father was one of our football coaches. And the middle school wrestling coach had come out to talk to them to kind of get them ready. And I mm -hmm. think it came out to recruit. And they were basically trying to get me to come out for the team. And there, I was just like, I'm not wearing the singlet. Like, I don't, I don't want to wrestle. That was my big holdup. So it really was the singlet. It I was joking. But no, no, it, was, no, it genuinely no, was the singlet. So, I mean, I, I've coached kids of all ages, and the singlet is an issue for some kids. Like, it wasn't for me for yeah. me at all. Like, I'm like, you know, hey, can we get some glitter on this thing? But <laughs> but for some people, it's yeah. like, I don't want to be in Lycra, which I frankly don't understand. <laughs> yeah, so for me, basically, they let me wrestle my first match in shorts and a T-shirt. Okay. So they're like, all right, you can wrestle, and you don't have to wear a singlet. I was like, really? They're like, yeah. So then I wore a... a White t-shirt with some black shorts just tucked in with my headgear. I was the only kid in the entire gym that did that. And I felt like the noob kind of, you know, it's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, wow, this guy definitely doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. And I was like, all right, maybe this thing that's not that bad. So my first match so, I wrestled. So back in, then, though, like, yeah. were you, I mean, right now you look like the Batman costume. But back then, were you like a chunky kid and that's why you didn't want to put I it on? I was like probably chunky until like sixth grade. But then eighth grade, I was pretty like cut. You start, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. being cut in eighth grade is normal. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> a lot of chocolate milk and yeah. I looked running like, around. I, I looked know, like you a potato in eighth grade. It was like, hey, look, look, is that a potato? No, that was the majority of the kids no, that actually that's, wrestled. That's in my eighth son grade. Nick. Nice. You know? Yeah. But uh, I, I, I wrestled 160, 152 in eighth grade. So I was like, <laughs> are you kidding? No, I'm not. Yeah, I was, I was decent size. And so a lot of the kids in eighth grade that were around that weight just weren't as physically mature yet. Yep. So I always joke around saying I was wrestling a lot of marshmallows. You know what I mean? And so... So are you like body slamming small children? Is I that what we're looking at? Is it? Are you like pressing small children no. over your head and just like looking at their moms and then just driving them into the ground? Like, I wouldn't say that's exactly what it was, but it was definitely easier than you would think it would be for a first-year wrestler. I didn't lose a match that year. You didn't lose a match in your first year? No. Damn. Yeah. Do you know how bad I was at wrestling? <laughs> I was so bad, man. But it's also, you got to remember, it's North Carolina. If I was in PA, I yeah, probably would have had more, more, more losses than I had wins. PA's tough, man. Yeah, PA's it's tough. A different I remember the first time I wrestled in Pennsylvania. It was after my sophomore year, and I went out there for a freestyle tournament. And I was pretty good by then, you know? Like, yeah. I, I, I lost a few matches that season, but I was pretty good. I went out there and like the kid I was wrestling looked like nothing, you know, he looked just like average. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to smoke this kid. Oh my God. Been man. there before. Like it, it did not. I mean, I, I, I think I lost six, four or something to a kid that looked like, and it was just like, I had no sense that that was even possible. They all can wrestle yeah. like a fish in Pennsylvania is it's, a good wrestler. Oh, hundred percent has been wrestling since, you know, he was eight or something, you know, it's yeah. It's I was different. actually having this conversation with uh, NC State's current heavyweight starter yesterday because he's from South Carolina, but he transferred to Wyoming Seminary, which is a prep school mm -hmm. up in PA, which is really, really good. I mean, they have top recruits come out of there all the time. And he was originally from Pennsylvania before he moved to South Carolina. And he said when he was in PA, I think he moved to South Carolina when he was like 10 or 12 or something like that. He was average wasn't really that much of a standout but he said when he came down to south carolina he started winning a lot mm. he was just like 
it just gave me a lot of confidence, and I just wanted to do wrestling more because I was like, oh, winning's kind of fun. But in PA, he wasn't winning that much. And as soon as he moved down to South Carolina, his confidence just shot through the roof, and he was just like, I don't know if I would be, I would have been or developed the way I had in high school without going down there and just mm. getting the confidence that I did from wrestling competition yeah. that necessarily wasn't as deep. And then now he's just got a top 10 win last Friday for, and when they wrestled Pitt. And he's doing really, really well. He, he can definitely podium this year. So, like, there's a big difference, you know, between PA and especially states in the southeast. What, what's the first time you lost? Yeah, freshman year of high school. Um, I took plenty of losses that year. And I and then I almost tried to quit because I hated cutting weight. And I just yep. wanted to play football. Yep. And then my coach was like, you're not quitting. I was like, all right, I'm not quitting. So, <laughs> Do you yeah. remember – what was it like to lose for the first time? I don't know if it was – I remember – Losing more my freshman year. I remember my losses more my freshman year of college more than my freshman year of high school. High school was just kind of me trying out the sport, just kind of something new, something I enjoyed that they told me was going to help make me a better football player, just make me more physical, mm-hmm. um, hit harder. And so, but uh, I never really took losses that, Poorly, I never was the type of person that was just gonna take a L and then beat myself up about it. It was very much like if I lost, it would just kind of fuel me positively into the direction that was gonna help find a solution or just like make yeah. me go harder until I figured out how to get the win. So that's good. Yeah, I just always responded well for the most part, which I think is kind of what helped me in my college career. Where, where do you think that comes from? I wasn't that way. My kids are that <clears> way. <throat> like, my kids will have a knockout drag out. Yeah. Especially my daughter. My daughter will be, like, best friends with the girl before the match. Then they kill each other. I mean, they literally kill each other. Yeah. And then after, they're hugging and joking and taking selfies. Whereas, like, I have dudes that I wrestled, like, five times throughout my high school career. Yeah. We didn't speak a single time even though we always knew we knew everything about each other's wrestling and like maybe the only words that i ever said were after we were both graduating we're like hey good luck and that's it yeah but like those losses were visceral like they hurt me in a bad way yeah but like you're cool with it not cool with it because i've seen you i've seen you a couple times lose you know, it's not often, but I've seen it. And you're, yeah. you, you know, it's not like you want to chat about it or anything. Right. But, but you deal with it differently. Why do you think that is? Um, I think part of it's just how I was raised. Um, mainly, be probably probably more so my mom having literally no clue what's going on. So she, I never really had like the crazy parent that was just kind of cared so much about athletics where performance was a problem, whether you won or you mm-hmm. lost. So... Mm-hmm. I could take my mom to a football game and she'd be asking what's going on. I could explain it to her five times and we go to a football game the next Friday and she's going to ask me, so is that a touchdown or is that a home run or what is that? I'm like, mom, we had this conversation like 20 times, you know? So she's just completely oblivious. She's just so supportive. And I think that support just very much kind of set me up in a way and kind of helped me perceived, perceive failure and loss. Yeah as like not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. And so she would, I'd walk off a mat, maybe I took a, a L and she'd be like, I'm so proud of you, Mijo. And I'm like, you did a good job. Yeah. I'm like, 
what are you in my head? I'm like, what are you talking about? Did you not? She, she had no clue. Yeah, absolutely no clue. But and so my parents were the same way, but I was still yeah. a freak. You know, I was still like, <laughs> I don't know. I think that's the norm. I think people get upset. Don't get me wrong. There's times where I haven't responded well to a loss. Um, like I think about my freshman year of college, I lost two wrestle offs in a row. And I remember storming out of the gym, like kicking the door open, just livid, you know, sitting outside, trying to figure out why, because I'm working my ass off and I ended up losing two matches in a row. I was gifted another opportunity to redeem myself and then I lost that one mm. right after. And so it was just kind of really, I think almost frustrating when you you work hard, you work hard, you work hard, and you expect to see the result. Yeah. You don't see the result. You continue to work hard, work hard, work hard, and then there's still no change in the result. Yep. And that can be really um, devastating in a way. And I think what I've noticed is I've seen kids go through that same experience, except mm -hmm. when you don't have the ability to remain positive or remain optimistic, you waver or you settle, yeah. or you change whatever goal you initially had to become more attainable. And mm -hmm. so for me, I just kind of, thankfully I never settled. I think I just had <clears throat> a good support system and then also just also just very determined. And, and yeah, but I, I think it varies kid to kid. In general, that, you know, putting the work in consistently brings a result even if you don't realize it at first. Um, right now I'm coaching middle school. I kind of follow my kids around and kind of help the community wherever they need. So right now, like this last year, I spent most of my time coaching middle school, a little time coaching high school. And this year for the first time, we had seven girls on the team. So like women's wrestling is really starting to pick up fastest growing sport in the country. And um, one of the girls who really has just like she went from being a kid that had never done any sport to being like a really functional wrestler. Like she's not elite or anything, but like she knows the moves. And at the end of the season, she was like, you know, I just like I worked really hard and I just don't think I'm good. And I like I don't know if I should keep doing this. And I was like, did you have fun? It's like, yeah, I had fun. But, you know, I got I got beat. It's like, listen. You can't see it because you're in it. But from my perspective, you know, you've probably improved more than anyone else on the team this year. Yeah. And if you give it, you're in sixth grade. If you give this time, you're going to be murdering people in two years, which you probably shouldn't say to kids. <laughs> <laughs> and but she got the biggest smile on her face. And I think that so often people, like you said, people have these goals and the expectation, and I don't know if it's because of social media. I don't know if maybe if people are just not yeah. used to grinding. And I hate using grinding because it's such a it's such a like overused influencer term. Yeah. But you know, my first company, you know, and I've told this story a few times. But my first company, I you know, it did not feel like progress for a long time. I mean, yeah. I was almost bankrupt. Like it was bad. Yeah. And then suddenly it wasn't. And it's not like I did anything significantly different when it started working. It was just a matter of like iterating, iterating, iterating. And all of those little decisions, you know, kind of put seeds out there 
and it eventually starts working, you know, and I have to think it's similar to your wrestling career. I have to think it's similar. I mean, really to just about any success story I've seen, like it doesn't come overnight. So talk a little bit about maybe times where you felt, you know, maybe things aren't going exactly the way I want and how, you know, you turn that around because I'll talk about wrestling all day, but not everyone watching is a wrestler. So they yeah. might not appreciate the sport, but yeah. So I agree with you, man. I think people, some people, um, and maybe the, the younger demographic coming up now might think like, okay, overnight success. Um, and me personally, just from my experience and then obviously getting to know people like yourself and, other friends that we have who are successful. I mean, just the stories that, that I've gotten here, it's just, it's never overnight, man. Mm -hmm. Whatever looks like an overnight success never is. had years and years yeah. of just work behind it. And so I think about my college career, right? I was an NCAA champion my last year of college and I redshirted, so that was five years. Freshman year and sophomore year, my total record combined was 24 wins, 27 losses. So I was under 500 with my first two years combined. Freshman year, I got the starting spot. Sophomore year, I lost the starting spot to an underclassman who was a freshman. Shout out to my guy, Nicky Hall. Um, he's the one who beat me in the wrestle-off. And he's in the military now. That was um, probably important for you, though. Huge, man. Huge. I think that was a career-defining moment for me because uh, – the way I, I viewed the situation was very much either I have to improve or I'll never get the opportunity to start and wrestle for this program again because we're at the same weight class. Mm -hmm. um, and he's a year younger than me. Yep. So he ended up changing weight classes, actually. He went down to 74. And then I ended up going up to 197 by the time I was a senior. But just that experience in itself put me in a place mentally where it was it's – Either you succeed or you fail. There's no in between. There's no gray area. You either figure out how to get good enough to become the starter or you never start ever again. And that's just kind of how I viewed the situation. So it just kind of drove me and fueled me in a way where I started exhausting every possible resources that, that was at my disposal at NC State. So we had a sports psychologist that was in the department for all athletes. And I was never the type of guy that was like, all right, well, let me – let me go see this, the sports side because I feel like I need a sports side. I never felt like that type of person. I always felt like, okay, you know what? Pretty independent. I'll figure it out myself. Mm -hmm. myself. But then I thought about it. I said, if I don't accomplish my goal, 20 years from now, well, I look back and wonder, mm, should you know, I have gone? Should I have gone? Yeah. What, what kind of difference could that have made? Mm -hmm. And I would just have been curious. And so I decided to start meeting with our, our sports side. Her name is Michelle Joshua. She's incredible. Absolute beast when it comes to sports performers and just a great person. So I ended up meeting with her for the next four years and just that resource, all the people in the, the training room in terms of like um, athletic trainers and sports medical staff, coaches, just across the board, I started exhausting every resource that was at my disposal and trying to get the most out of like the most out of everything that was there. <clears throat> and I slowly started to see things kind of progress and then the following year, I redshirted. I had an opportunity to, they asked me to move up to 197 my third year. And I remember telling them, I was like, I feel like I'm a team first kind of guy. 
And I feel like this is a moment in my career where I, I need to be selfish and I feel like redshirting is going to be more in my best interest. And they're like, all right, well, we'll give you a day to think about it. Come back to us tomorrow. It's like, all right. So I came back tomorrow. I decided to put team first. I said, you know, whatever you guys need me to do, I'll do. And they said, we talked about it as a staff. We're going to let you redshirt. I think that was the, one of the best things I could have done for my career developmentally just because I was green when I came into college. Coming from North Carolina, never wrestling year-round, mm -hmm. didn't wrestle for a club, played football, wrestled, and then I played soccer for a travel team. Were you the first <laughs> North Carolina homegrown national champ? Second. Who did Second. it before you? Tab Thacker in 84. So and so figured you would know. <laughs> yeah. So Tab also was a North Carolina native, and he wrestled also at NC State too. And so he was a national champ. So it's cool that the two North Carolina natives to win NCAA titles both wrestled for NC State. Super cool. And yeah. so Tab in 84 and then myself in 2018. I wanted to talk about pancreation, but <laughs> okay. What's that? It's, it's an ancient Greek form of wrestling. One of, my, <laughs> one of my favorite wrestlers, he literally tactfully bit people's fingers and broke them so that they couldn't win the match. And he won two Olympic medals off of that. Oh my God. Leon Tiscus. <laughs> the old it. Olympics. The old Olympics, <laughs> where that was legal. And they actually had, they even had moves to make sure that you couldn't grab a guy's nutsack because it was totally legal to do that. So they actually developed the tactic. That's crazy. We're getting all this, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah, I don't know how I switched back. <laughs> so just to keep finishing what I was saying, basically, long story short, um, I didn't see any actual results on paper until my fifth year. But those four years leading up to that, I was my goal was to win a national title each year. Didn't even qualify for the tournament as a freshman, sophomore year. Didn't even get the starting spot. Junior year, redshirted. Redshirt junior year, round of 12. Didn't even All-American. And then the following year, ended up winning the whole tournament. And so the lesson that that taught me um, and that resonates the most with me is just keep working incredibly hard regardless of whatever results you see. And if you have patience with yourself and you remain optimistic and you stay positive, eventually inevitably you will you will see a change in the result but you won't <clears throat> if you start to waver if you start to get really negative and if you start to just kind of settle and so my encouragement to a lot of kids when I go teach a clinic or just to people who ask me like about my career or just what they can do to get better is just stay diligent stay persistent keep working and don't worry about the result. Mm. It's not about the result. Yep. That was the biggest lesson I learned when I was in college because when I was a freshman, all I cared about was the result. Win, 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 win. But when my mindset shifted to having a process oriented outcome instead of result oriented focus, like the result started taking care of itself. You get so focused on the end goal, the end goal, the end goal, and to me, that takes away mental focus. It takes away energy. And it can be distracting sometimes. Let that take care of itself. Put all your energy into what you're doing at the moment and do that as best as you possibly can. And <clears throat> let things take care of themselves. And so that that's what my encouragement usually is to people is stop worrying about the result and just 
focus on the process. And it sounds so cliche, but I mean, it's true though. Yep. So, you know, I want to, I want to actually bring up a conversation we recently had. There is a, a societal kind of, you know, structure that has been set up that people almost mechanically follow. And that structure is like, you go to high school, you do well, then you get into the best college you can, you go to college, then you try to get the best corporate gig you can, you get that job, you get married, you like there, you know, your life is essentially mapped out from beginning to death. You know, what a happy life in America is supposed to look like. Um, and I think it, it messes a lot of people up because, you know, I know I felt this a little bit when I was in my 20s, uh, especially when I was starting my first company, Ranger Up. Um, you look around and there is a perception that other people are advancing faster than you. I feel like that right now. And, uh, <laughs> and but so the interesting thing, and I'm going to get to that in a sec. But, yeah. But there is an impression that people are advancing faster than you and that you're falling behind and that uh, life is passing you by and that you should be doing something else. Um, it's a very common thing with people in their 20s and even in their 30s. Um, but the thing is that pe most people look at you and what you're doing is unattainable, you know? Um, regardless of whether they were a wrestler, right? You're a professional athlete. You know, you're competing with Olympians. You are chasing a dream. You are physically fit. You're uh, meeting with and training with UFC fighters, WWE athletes, the best wrestlers on planet Earth. They're looking at you as, man, like that would be amazing but at the same time, and I don't mean to, you know, betray no, no. private conversations, but you said it was all right. Yeah, yeah. Like you and I recently had a conversation where you were yeah. like, I think I'm falling behind. And like, yeah. it's almost hard for me not to chuckle because it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, what is it that you want? Yeah. You know, because um, I've lived a weird life. I don't ever look back and say, let me tell you about my time as a manager of business development at John Deere. It was a great job. I worked on a multi-billion dollar deal. You know, it didn't close, but, you know, I worked on it. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think about that. Like, I don't tell that story because there was nothing about that moment that was meaningful, impactful, scary. All the scary stuff happens in things that maybe people working those jobs or maybe people that look at what a perfect life is supposed to be. Um would never do and like you're living that life right now and it's exciting and frustrating and scary but it's interesting so that i it definitely I, is yeah, so, so i want you true. to i want you to talk a, a little bit about like honest your honest feelings about what right. is it like to be you know a 28 year old right that is a very you're a very smart guy you have aspirations to do things in business you have aspirations to do things in acting, um, but you still are fixated on this goal and you're worried that the goal is keeping you from future aspirations. Talk about that. Talk about that feeling. 
Yeah, so, <clears throat> you know, I, I had a couple opportunities with some organizations, right? Like, Can we say, can we say the Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, I don't know. So WWE, I, I did a trial and they offered me a contract opportunity and then I had a, a, a Bellator developmental contract on the table also. And then obviously I have my Olympic aspirations preparing for Olympic trials next April. Um, we're willing to make it, make the team, go to the Olympic Games, represent the United States, and and do the best I could possibly do, which is hopefully an Olympic gold medal. But it's a daunting task, especially for someone at my weight class, where you have two world champions, mm-hmm. one who's a two-time world champion, and then you have another one who's a three-time world champion, an Olympic gold medalist, Olympic silver medalist, <clears throat> and then quick question: Who do you think's better at wrestling, them or me? Can you use weapons? <laughs> if you had a bat, I would give it to you. I don't even think I could do it with a bat, man. Those, those guys are good. How many limbs would Kyle Snyder have to lose before I can beat him in wrestling? What do you think? At least both of his arms. See, I'd, ra- I'd, I'd rather him lose the legs. I feel like... Really? I feel like if he has no legs, I can take him. He's going to grab you. I know. I Even know. if he <laughs> has no legs. And then you got to deal with him on your leg. I'm like, get off of me. And if you got no legs, you know how easy it is to just roll around? That's true. That's true. Just so good you, luck keeping him on his back. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, so genuinely, you, think you think I'm better off with no better arms? Better off with no arms. Oh, no, man. Because then it's just all head position that he has to kind of defend with and you can just snap him down maybe get a go behind yeah just and just run away the rest right of the but if he's got his arms i mean yeah he's kind of that hurts man i think you that's don't even more think of a I problem can, you don't even think i can take i, I think majority of people would need him to have no arms to, to score to score a takedown on him um but yeah basically it's, it's just a daunting task man and you know i, I had to Ask myself a question realistically. Do I believe that this is even realistic? Do I believe that this is possible mm-hmm. if I'm going to forego or postpone these opportunities? And uh, because they may not be there a yeah. year from now, you know, and those are serious questions you got to ask yourself. Sure. And for me, it's not like wrestling is the highest paid job in the world. You know what I mean? So, yep. and that's one thing, you know, I have my own independent, like, financial aspirations and goals and, and things that I want to do as well. But the way I kind of went about making the decision was you're in the physical prime of your life as a male and that only lasts so long. Yep. Right. And so for me, I want to be able to look back on this specific time of my life and be able to look in the mirror and say, okay, I did everything I possibly could to be my best. And I, and I also am just curious to see what that looks like, mm-hmm. right? You kind of talked about MMA guys back in the day when the sport wasn't the biggest. Yep. They just wanted to know the answer. They just wanted the answer. Who's the toughest? They just wanted the answer. And, they, th- and that's, what, that's yep. what I want. I just want to know the answer. I, I want to know that, you know? And so <clears throat> that was kind of how I made, went about making my decision. And so now it kind of feels like, you know, they have this saying, you burn the ships, storm the castle. Well, mm-hmm. the ships are burned now, right? All the eggs are in one basket, so I'm fight. all in now. And so there's no looking back, regardless of whether you think it's the right decision or whether you don't think it's the right decision. You're only going to know years later on down the road. And so... Well, no, I, I see, I actually look at it totally different. I think, really? you're, I think you're wrong. I think you made the right decision. 
I think it doesn't matter what the yeah. outcome is. Yeah. Like you made the right decision because once you commit to a decision, it's the right decision. Mm. It's done. Yeah. You know, WWE contract one offer is the past. Yeah. So this is now the decision. Yeah. And our conversation on the phone, you, you know, you asked a very specific question, which a lot of people encounter in their lives. And that was, if I don't say yes to this WWE contract, it might never be there. Right. And I don't know if you remember what I said, but basically I've never been in a situation where I was I do remember what you said. forced yeah. into something or right. threatened with something right. where it was the right decision. And I wouldn't necessarily say it was a threat or forced. I think it was just the circumstances yeah. and whatever the company, the company operates solely from a business perspective. It's yeah. not, never a personal thing. Of but. course not. <clears throat> I don't disagree with you though. You know what I mean? And so, but what's the worst thing that happens? Right. You don't do the WWE. Right. Okay. Yeah. You There's know? plenty of other. Are there? Is right? that the end of the options no, in life? It's no, not. Of course not. not. Right. Do you have a huge network of really successful, talented people because of the sport? Yep. Do you know what hard work is on a level that no one else understands because of this sport? You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. I mean, like, okay. Like, that's the gift. Everything yeah. else is like, whatever. Yeah. I think one thing, too, that I'm excited about is there is, like, what you said, right? You mentioned the word interesting to describe, like, certain life decisions. Mm -hmm. And this is very interesting. Like, this is, yeah. it, it. it's it's scary, but it makes you feel something. And, and there's also a certain excitement about it as well knowing that there's nothing guaranteed, but you have the opportunity to make mm -hmm. something special happen. Yeah. And so for me, I, I'm kind of really excited about this next year and a half, next chapter, because yeah, I have the opportunity to do something really great. And it's not something that everybody else, everybody gets the chance to do. And yeah. so one, I'm, I'm just thankful too, but then the other, the other part is like, you know, let's get to work, you know what I mean? Yeah. Hey guys, Diesel Jack Media has just opened up our new studio. And while we're getting things spun up, I've tasked the team with making as many videos as possible. To kick that off, we are launching a limited time $500 video option. Here's the way it works. You go to dieseljackmedia.com under video production, choose the $500 video, purchase it for $500. You get to choose one of three things. How weird do you want the video? Do you want it normal? Do you want it a little funky? Or do you want it weird as f Once you choose that, you reach out to us at hello at dieseljackmedia.com. We'll write you if you don't write us, and we'll ask you to send us your product or tell us about your service. Then we execute. You don't get any say in the matter. We turn it around in one week. It's going to be a high quality video that you can absolutely use in an advertisement, depending on how weird you wanted it. And that's it. And so far it's been a phenomenal product. We've made a lot of small businesses happy. If you're a small business and you need a video on the cheap featuring your product, featuring your service, or just as a joke to one of your friends or something like that, the $500 video at dieseljackmedia.com is the way to go. All right, we got it. we're gonna switch gears because we'll, otherwise we'll talk about wrestling the whole time. <laughs> right. um, you wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, the United States as the world hegemon yeah, and, and whether that is going to continue. I really wanted to pick your brain on this. Well, I mean, like, hey, you brought up the topic. You're supposed to be the expert on this, you know? I'm hoping you're more of the expert <laughs> and I'm just asking questions, learning. So, you know, the, the specific thing that you wanted to talk about is, yeah. you know, we're starting to get pushed. 
for sure by china by russia yep you know talk about your concerns like what what keeps you up at night uh, i don't know if it keeps me up at night i think i, I sleep pretty well but <laughs> you're the worst guest i've ever had <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> um, I'll take that back. <laughs> yeah, so um, honestly, the thing that keeps me up at night is, um, nah, I'm just playing. But uh, I would say um, the biggest thing that worries me right now when it comes to foreign affairs is that I think I think China's economy is growing. I think you start to see... I just think with the whole COVID thing, I think the things that we have coming up with the next presidential election, I think things that you see between Ukraine and Russia, <clears throat> I think there's just a lot going on and it's just kind of hard to really know what's going to happen next. But I think one thing that I genuinely get concerned about is it doesn't matter what's happening domestically in the U.S., mm -hmm. China is 100% going to be trying to vie for like a Absolutely. world leading, like a world leading, like Absolutely. power. So like, <clears throat> what does that look like? Right. Cause yeah. if you're going to try and do that, you're going to have to contest for the top spot. Yep. And when you do that, it's not like, regardless of what's happening domestically, whether it's positive or negative for the U S the U S isn't just going to be like, well, here you go, China, go yeah. ahead and start, you know, influencing the yeah. world the way you want it to be influenced. And so, yeah, man, just like genuine concerns of like potential like war, you know, whether it's in the next decade. Um, and I think there's different different types of war, right? Yeah. I don't I don't think it's necessarily like oh it's gonna be a firefight and people are shooting at each other or bombs. But I think there's just gonna slowly be things that start to happen that kind of egg one country on. Yeah, that yeah. are just gonna start kind of. <clears throat> frustrating things to a point where eventually one country is going to reach a breaking point where they're going to start to take serious action, whatever, whatever that looks like. Cause right now I think it's very much just like testing the waters, hmm. right? I think there's things that each country is doing that's testing the waters. And so, well, the, the big, there's a few big differences. The, the first difference is that China takes, is taking a 100 years approach to conquering the world. America, our policy changes every four years. Right. And, you know, I obviously favor, you know, the, the U.S. constitutional democracy, the constitutional republic, 100%. you know, the constitutional republic that is the United States is the best form of government we've seen yet. That being said, all forms of government have challenges. The biggest challenge that we have is we do not stick to a plan. There isn't a plan to succeed. So with China, for example, they have been buying up ports in Africa for a generation. What I, what I mean by that is they essentially come in and say, hey, I know you need a port here. We'll build it and you pay us back over this period of time. But they know that they're not going to be able to keep up with those terms. And at some point, they essentially own the port. So what they're doing in Africa is as Africa becomes, you know, increasingly a first world power and Africa's growing at an incredible rate. Tremendously. Yeah. Um, 
China's going to control the economic condition of Africa. All of the trade will go through China, right? And then the other problem with the American system is it only works when the citizens are patriots. And I, I don't mean that like rah-rah <laughs> waving the flag. Right. And, you know, people have kind of bent the word patriot to mean a certain thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's like a certain political party or a certain anything. But if I own, if I'm the CEO of a multinational firm and I can, I can either build in an American factory and employ American workers or I can save three bucks per widget and do it in China, well, I am making the decision to do it in China. And I'm doing that over and over and over again to the point where, if you remember during COVID, we had to ask China to send us masks because we don't produce masks. We had to ask China to send us drugs because we manufacture all of our drugs in Chinese facilities. At any point, China could just say, screw you guys. And there would be an 18 month period of time before we could get a lot of things that we depend on. China has bought up a lot of farmland in America. Oh, yep, I was so, gonna ask you about that. Yeah, so- What at, do you think about that? I think that we have unfettered capitalism and a lack of patriots in the ruling class. And I think it's a problem. I don't have an easy solution for you. Yeah. That being said, I do think there should be a certain number of industries where we at least have a bare minimum that is created here. And, and you do that through tax incentives or whatever, but right. critical drugs, you know, fuel. Basically, we should always be thinking, if the world shut us off, can we exist? And if the answer is no, then we need to solve that problem. Yep. What does unfettering capitalism in the ruling class mean? That's a good question, Hollywood. <laughs> For those of you that don't know Hollywood, he is the ultimate producer of this show. Um, yeah, so un unfettered capitalism. What I mean by that is, you know, if you're in a small business, like I, I've had clients, potential clients come to me and ask me to do things that I thought were just immoral. Their product is immoral. Their message is immoral. And I just say no, because to me personally, it's more important to um, feel good about myself when I go to bed than it is to make more money. Well, the people that tend to rise to the top of mega corporations are incentivized entirely to make money. You know, they are reporting to shareholders. They are graded every quarter. Their jobs hang in the balance. Their reputation hangs in the balance. It's not a small decision in, a, in an office in Durham. It is a public decision. And they get asked the question, why aren't you saving $3 a widget in China? And when they answer, well, I want to protect American workers, they're told this is a multinational corporation and you have to you know, do what's in the best interest of the and, company, that's, its growth, that's right. its profit margins. Yeah. And, you know, why has China been able to do some things that we can't? I mean, there's your answer is because we play by certain rules yeah. and they don't. 
If you do business in China, they have to own 50% of the company. You know, if you're an American corporation in China, you think they don't have spies stealing all of your IP? Of course they do. China doesn't create IP, they steal it. You know, that being said, so that's, that's the doom and gloom. Yeah. But China's GDP is not anywhere near ours, like in, on yeah. an individual basis. Yeah. There we, are, are, we currently are the largest economy in the world. Yeah. Right? And, and, and while, but even if their economy were to surpass us, their GDP is actually shrinking per person in a lot of areas. Because of the one-child policy? No, just because, well, I mean, that's an issue. That right. was an issue. It's gone now. A lot of right. people don't realize it's gone now because yeah. now they have a population crisis. Right. They, you know, and we're going to have one too, but not on the level that they are. Yeah. One thing that I think is interesting, though, when you think about <clears throat> that, obviously that's super important in terms of, like, Economic growth, you need people who can work the jobs mm -hmm. in mass produce because they have so many factories and whatever. But one thing that I think is interesting is that with the one-child policy, even though it created a lot of victims and it wasn't necessarily like morally just. That was terrible. Terrible. I mean, absolutely like literally terrible Literally murdered. People find, yeah, exactly. Babies were born and then killed. I mean, yep. it was terrible. Horrendous. Yeah. I think on the back end, when you are, and this is just me trying to put myself in, in someone's shoes. I, I'm not, I, I have no idea and I can't even begin to imagine. But let's say you know you're only allowed to have one child. When you get the opportunity to have a child mm -hmm. and you are gifted with the ability to actually conceive a child and give birth to a healthy child, think about how much you cherish that child. Sure. Right? How, how much love, support, and investment into that child you are going to give knowing that this is going to be your only one, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And then think about the investment back that the child's going to give and how the parents and the grandparents invest in the child, but yes. also vice versa. The child is committed to his parents and his grandparents and what type of family structure that creates and what that does for the individual. Yeah. And when you have this massive amount of people in this entire generation that's come up with a tremendous amount of love and support and guidance and direction. <clears throat> I mean, you know, just as well as I do, how important uh, a strong family structure is to raising a child it's and what the most, kind of, it's the most important and thing. what kind of child that produces. Right. So yep. it's like, they're going to be very, very competent, hardworking, citizens who are going to contribute in a lot of different ways. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And I, and I think about just like the family structure in the U S and how that's changed drastically from, you know, obviously it's evolving and values are changing, but the traditional values of just the family, I think have changed some in the U S and it's not emphasized or prioritized as much as it, as it used to be. And I think, getting away with that is part of what's a concern because yeah. what type of children we're raising makes a massive difference. And yeah, the one child policy, horrendous, and it creates a population issue, but those childs are cherished. Those children are cherished the entire time. So I want to know I, what you think about that. Yeah, I do think they're separate things, right? <laughs> For so, sure. So it, it comes down to what parents prioritize. Yeah. 
you know. But I feel like the policies kind of force that in China. Well, you yeah, know, like, sure. Unintentionally. They, yeah, right? sure, like, they do. But also, you know, most, you know, when we think of the old world, whether we're talking about, you know, China, Japan, Europe, or whatever, yeah. there is a strong nuclear family structure. Yep. And the nuclear family, I mean, there's so much data on this. You know, and obviously, like, you know, people always throw out the exceptions, like, what if the guy's abusive? What if, you know, those those situations, obviously, it's better to not have a nuclear family sure. if somebody in the arrangement is a total... It's never just black and white. Yeah, if somebody's an asshole, right. like, obviously, it's better to not have an asshole in the unit. Peace. <laughs> that being I'm said, yeah. um, the nuclear family is the biggest advantage that a kid can have. For sure. And, you know, all of the data bears that out. In fact... Um, I talked about this on, a, on another episode. Um, a recent uh, Harvard-Yale study came out and basically looked at families where uh, there's a married nuclear family. There, or not even married. It didn't, it didn't have anything to do with married. It was just, you know, is there a man and woman in the household on it consistently, you know, over the course yep. of at least, uh, I think it was like 15 years or something of the kid's life. Is there... Um, you know, single moms and single dads, right? And um, the data bore out that kids that don't have dads actively involved in their lives have all kinds of challenges, uh, whether it's um, lack of security, poverty, uh, anxiety, um, a host of issues. And the data actually showed that it, if the the issues associated with poverty, um, obesity, anxiety, uh, success bore out that like if you did not have a dad involved, you were 25 to 33 percent less likely to succeed in all of those areas. Whereas if it was a single dad versus a married couple, it was all the numbers were almost identical. And so we've had a we've had a a, a period of time where we have deprioritized the value of having a male figure in the family. It does not have to be the biological father, but there needs to be a father in the equation to generally to ensure set success. And it's not like, it's not because moms aren't doing good jobs or they don't care or whatever there is. This is biological. Like there is a biological need to feel secure. There is a biological need to feel loved and different parents provide different things. Um, and so I think that we have a very selfish society right now. Whereas mm -hmm. I, I think, I don't think that the sixties was good where you had <laughs> women that just had to deal with assholes. I don't think yeah. that is the answer. But I do think that the idea that we were talking about before where people feel like they're falling behind and it's like, oh, okay, well, I've got a good job now. I've graduated college. I'm dating this girl or I'm dating this boy. I have to get married. And they're not really thinking about the quality of that person's character. They're not thinking about do we have the same goals. It's very, I feel this, but... You know, and that's super important, but really long term, 
you guys have to be pulling in the same direction. And, and I don't think anybody, I don't think people talk about that because it's not romantic. Yeah, it's reality. It's reality. Right. But, you know, if one of you wants to take wild risks and go for it and be an entrepreneur or be an influencer or whatever your thing is, and the other one wants to nine to five it, that's going to be a problem. You know, if one of you is very public and the other one is very private, that's going to be a problem. If one of you really wants to devote time to parenting and the other doesn't, unless there's an arrangement where, hey, you're going to go out and work and I'm going to take care of the kid, whichever way that goes, that's going to be a problem. And people, people don't have those conversations. They like the single person that they're dating a lot. They have a good relationship, they get married, and then it's like life comes and divorce is easy. Highest it's ever been. Right Highest now. it's ever been. Highest it's ever been. And divorce itself isn't the problem, but you've got dads or moms that after divorce are either using the kid as a battering ram to hurt the other person. Collateral. Or they just flee. Right. Whichever one. And more often than not, I feel like it's the second, the first one, the collateral, yeah. the, the child becomes collateral damage. So you get kids with anxiety, you get kids with lack of security, <clears throat> you get kids that don't have confidence. So, you know, does that happen in the old world as much as it happens in America? I don't think so. And it is a problem. And it reflects in so many of the issues that we have. Yeah. And that's... That was kind of what I wanted to kind of get to when I talked to, when I mentioned like this China versus U.S. Yeah. Obviously, you can talk about all the foreign policy, mm -hmm. all the technical stuff, and but I feel like it, it stems from somewhere, right? It, it, and so I feel like that's part of one of the biggest issues that we have right now domestically. And so how do you evolve in a way that starts to become more of a solution to that problem. You know what I mean? And then does that help us start progressing in the right direction to where we remain as the world's leading power? Because yeah. everybody wants to talk about the domestic issues between all the 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 the, the moral rights, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. But at the end of the day, it's like we're all U.S. citizens, mm -hmm. we all live in the same country. Yeah. And when the U.S. is no longer the world leading power, it's not going to be good. And there's another country that's influencing the entire world. Yep. All that other stuff all of a sudden becomes less yeah. relevant. It's not important anymore. It's not important anymore. Yep. And so I think people need to refocus and understand like what really matters. And I feel like right now, what's going on internationally is what ultimately matters. And I feel like if we can figure out how to come together a little bit more by thinking uh, <clears throat> with a, a much more like broader perspective, it kind of just helps align things a little bit more because everybody wants to talk about these little tiny minuscule problems that mean absolutely nothing when it comes yeah. to the global economy and what's happening internationally. It's like, all right, well, we're in fucking last place and getting our asses kicked like you're not yeah. going to care about this as much yeah you know so i think it's just interesting to think about and i don't think enough people are educated enough on all that stuff and they don't even realize like what's really going on well i'm actually optimistic about your generation which i know 
is not the thing that you're supposed to say because the cool thing to say is that, you know, your generation and the, the kids in high school right now suck. Um, that's what everybody, you know, like, oh, yeah. they're weak and this and that. I, I don't think that's true. I, I actually think that you have, that your generation is very thoughtful uh, and I think very decent. And when people, when people talk decent. about, oh, I mean, listen. No, no, I'll take it. Yeah. Listen, when, when people, people like to as ascribe to, you know, kind of uh, tweeners and people in their 20s now, that the generation is woke, whatever that means. And, <laughs> and, uh, like to me, in my, let me get me started on that and cancel culture <laughs> and the whole people can't make mistakes anymore, man. Yeah. Well, I was, again, I was, I was actually talking about this, uh, with Jennifer Griffin from Fox. She was on, on uh, our very first show, but you know, her concern is about her kids and you know, what if they make a mistake? What if they get drunk at a party and do something stupid? I think your generation doesn't care. I, I think what's going to happen is that when you're in your 40s and they pull up the, the image of, you know, Mike Machiavello is, you know, he's wearing uh, lingerie at a party, you know, uh, whatever they have on you. Um, like, Wait, I think not that I think <laughs> I mean, you never, I'm just fishing. <laughs> I just think that you're going to oh, be like, man. yeah, I was 20. I was drunk at a party. So what? Yeah. And I think most people in your generation are going to be that way because your whole life is captured and things that you thought were brilliant and smart that you posted on Facebook when you were 16, you now realize are stupid, but the internet is forever. And I just think, at, I think your generation grew up in it and you're not going to be as Karen-ish as my generation. Like I honestly, when I see these people that are like, Hey, this dude 15 years ago said this. Like, do you not remember like the 80s? You know, like the things that people said, the way people acted, you know? I mean, it's like, it's it's wild to me. But they don't, but no one has that on them because no one had phones. Right. There were no cell phones. If you had a cell phone, it was in a suitcase and you were rich. It was like, oh my God, that guy's got a cell phone. Like, you know, like, it's still attached to a cord, you yeah. know, into the box. I mean, it is a different time. So none of that existed. I, I am generally optimistic about the next generation. I think you guys will figure things out. Uh, and my generation is, is also still just kind of coming into power, so to speak. Most decisions are still made by 70, 80 year olds. Um, and I think my generation straddled the line between the old world and the new world. Like we, you know, we grew up without computers and then learned how to program, look, actually program in computers because that's the only way you could use a computer. And now we have iPhones. Um, I'm optimistic. I could be, I could be no, that's good to hear. Yeah, yeah, no. But I, I think we're going to rally. Nice. I think we're going to rally. All right. All right. The last thing that you wanted to talk about is um, whether truth is now subjective. Right. So, like, let's start with your thoughts on that. Oh, boy. You're supposed to know about the things. Yeah, that you yeah. Talk no, about. I just I just wanted to say things that I think would provoke interesting conversation, to be honest. Um, I really didn't give this as much thought as I should have, probably. But 
Uh, let me, you know, Here, here's some life advice. <laughs> approach everything the way you approach your wrestling career. <laughs> so wing it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm playing nothing. No. Um, I'll start so you, okay, can, so you right. can think. All, all right. right. Well, yep. Chat GPT. Oh, yeah. That, yep. The right. AI. Yep. The AI mm -hmm. is essentially able to mimic human reaction at this point. And yeah. it's only getting better. This is yeah. only the third generation, fifth generation is coming out soon. Mm -hmm. um, these guys sitting around you, including Tom Aurelius Hunt over there, uh, have been making AI art, which it's not perfect, but it's pretty wild that you can just basically ask this thing to do something and it creates something. Um, you can now, with very high-end programs, provide like a movie that someone has actually acted in and say, I need you to make this PG-13. And they will take out the F-bombs and replace them with freaking and change the mouth so that it says freaking instead of I think I did it. see that. Yes. A it, clip of that. So and actually, I sent it to my buddy Jacob Casper, who's uh, Julius the, Creed now. Julius Creed in, in the WWE. WWE. He's yeah. gonna be huge. He, he's crushing it. He's, now, he's a character. He's that a man. dude's a character. Shout out to my guy Jake. Um, and I sent it to him. He was just like, "Dude, that's crazy. Like, that's actually insane." And I think one thing that's concerning about that is just right. Like, how do you discern what's real and what's not? Yeah. And how dangerous is that? Yeah. Because it's going to get harder. Right. Right now, there's still little ticks that kind of say, hey, you know, this doesn't quite look right. But, yeah. you know, the, the security portion always follows the attack. So when you think about the software on your computer that's, that's keeping viruses out, yep. well, that software is reactive. It's somebody put out a virus. They immediately program something to stop that virus and then load it up. But there's a, there's a couple day delta. So for those couple days, people are getting the virus. Well, it's going to be the same thing with this is how good is the deep fake? If yeah. the deep, if, if somebody shares a deep fake of, you know, fast forward 10 years and you're now a congressman. Jeez, and I it's like, not. hey, here's a deep fake of Mike. Hopefully not. Here's a deep fake of <laughs> Mike kidding. Machiavello yeah. cheating on his wife. With those two goats. Man. It just had like, goats. Hollywood. Hollywood. <laughs> Quiet. Wait, the wasn't time. there a Netflix show that did something like this? It was like. No, not goats. I think it was. Can like we a, let's move away from something. the goats? All right. Oh, yeah, yeah, black, that's what it was. That, black yeah. Mirror. That's yeah. the only. That's the only episode of Black Mirror I ever watched. And so everyone's like, "Oh, did you watch this?" I'm like, "I was done after that first show. I was show. done after the pig episode." Yeah, I was like, yeah, We're that done. was bad. We're, it was yeah. really bad. So it was they, really bad. They did that the first time. In the Ukraine war. That was the first time the Russians tried to use deepfake. They sent out a deepfake of Zelensky saying. We have to embrace our Russian brothers. They're coming into the country. We got to lay down our arms and work together on this. It was a deep, a deep fake of Zelensky. For the first time they ever tried it. So, so what you have, right? People, oh my gosh. People want to believe the worst, and they want to retweet, and they want to make commentary, and they want yeah. to get followers. And so the deep fake is going to be halfway around the world by the time 
somebody comes out and says, Hey, this is fake. And not only that, but are people even going to believe you? Kind of like the boy who cried wolf a little bit type thing. It's just like, you know, if the, if I want to, if, if I ran right. against you and right. I want to believe that you're cheating on your wife and somebody puts out a really good deep fake. Oh, you're. There's a very small percentage of the population that's going to be able to truly run that analysis and say this is fake. Right. It's probably going to be only the people who are genuinely close to you and know you well enough. Well, no, I don't even mean that. I mean, like, technically, like somebody's right. got to run through, through. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, it, the, I mean, think about it. There are people that think the world is flat. There are people that no matter how many times you tell them something is untrue, no matter how much evidence you you show them they never change their mind because they don't want to be wrong publicly yeah so now there's video like there's video where our we believe what we see we believe what we hear i'm seeing that you're cheating on your wife and why would i not believe that i already don't like you i already think that you're a bad person i already think that you're a liar because you don't have my political affiliation why would i believe that that isn't real. So do you think that's more emotionally driven or do you think it's like educationally like like it's it's people not being able to think critically or people who aren't taught to think critically for themselves or is it just people who think critically for themselves but are emotionally driven to just believe the worst about a specific individual or situation? I think that we're all fancy monkeys. <laughs> and that we we try very hard to pretend that we're something better, bigger than that. Yeah. But we're just, we're fancy monkeys. We figured out fire <laughs> that allowed us to cook things, which, you know, processes food better, which allowed us to develop brains that take up 25% of the calories that we eat. No other species has that because they don't have fire. That's what happened. We're fancy monkeys. And so we still are ruled by emotion unless we develop mental discipline, which means. So just even, throw everybody into wrestling. Well, <laughs> no, <I'm just> kidding. <laughs> if I present you with information, even though yeah. you know me, you shouldn't believe it. You should think about it. You should assess it. Right. You should weigh whether I'm right because I'm wrong a lot. If I get presented with information, Joe Biden did this, Donald Trump did that, right off the bat, I'm assuming that because it's stated that way, it's at least a partial lie. That is, that is my starting point because I understand the political world is full of half-truths, uh, poor presentation to make somebody look bad. But if you're all in on whatever the team is, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, whatever your team is, if you're mm. all in on it, you're not objectively looking at most of this stuff. You want it to be true. You are wishing that it's true. You want the bad thing to be there so you can be like, I told you so. My guy was good. Your guy stinks. That's, that's where I worry about deep fakes that's where i worry about ai that's where i worry about this whole notion of you know my truth there is only truth and we yeah. we both have perceptions and both of our perceptions are flawed you know i can look at this and say this mug is red 
and you can look at it and say, well, I think it's brown. And we're both wrong because this has some Pantone color that dictates exactly what it is. I don't know what it is. You don't know what it is. That's, that's the, the truth. truth. Yeah. And you and I have our perceptions of yeah. what the truth is. And that's true with literally everything. When you start talking about human emotion and you know, things that affect individuals, how you grew up versus how I grew up, we're going to see something different. Yeah. And, you know, a dude that grew up in Soweto, South Africa is going to see it way different yeah. and so forth and so on. But there's still only one truth. And we all have our perception based on all of the variables in our lives. And that goes, it makes me think of you know, the saying everybody always says is perception is reality, mm -hmm. but only to a certain extent. Right. Perception is reality for the individual. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that it's true. Right. So whenever I am arguing with somebody and we are really, I make sure that I say, my perception is this. Mm. Do you think my perception is wrong? As opposed to, this is my truth. Because when you say this is my truth, you're oh, basically yeah. saying, oh, I can believe gosh. whatever I want. That hurts and me that's, so much. I can believe whatever that. I want and it's yeah. true. Well, it's not, no, no, because if and I get the sentiment, like it, it comes from a very positive place. And, and I think maybe the, the psychology behind it or, or the, the mental space that puts people in overall is positive and probably mm -hmm. healthy for them. But just the saying itself to me, every time just screens like truth is subjective. Like yeah. I'm just going to believe whatever I want to believe yeah. when it's like you, you there, it's a dangerous thing when you start to do that. Right. It's a very dangerous thing when you start to do that. Cause now there's no foundation or basis to make decisions off of. Mm -hmm. And now everything's a free for all. Yep. There's no structure. There's no lines to operate within. Yeah, so you know, it's a super interesting point that you're making that mm. it's almost an out for people to have their truth instead mm. of having to deal with the truth. I mean, here's a drastic example. If I go out and I say, man, I think hurting someone just because I feel like it is good thing and it's good for society. I want to believe that if I go and physically harm someone, Tom, I'm for doing example. someone a favor. <laughs> right? This is just an example. Just because I believe that that example to be a good thing doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing. I shouldn't be going out and trying to physically harm someone just because I feel like it and believe yep. it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. That makes no sense. Yeah. That's just not <laughs> reality. Yeah. Right? And if I believe something to be morally just like that, yeah. just because I believe that's morally just doesn't mean that it's actually morally just. And I think that's why it's a dangerous thing to operate within when you start to think my truth is my truth and reality is subjective. Because yep. now what you do is you create an environment where people literally just do whatever they feel is right and that's not necessarily a good thing. Yep. People have to learn to sit with their emotions regardless of how they feel. You're not always going to feel happy all the time. Mm. You're not always going to feel amazing. That's yeah. just the reality of the way of the reality of how life works. Yeah. Every day is not perfect and the sun is not up every single day. Sometimes it rains, sometimes there's a storm, sometimes there's lightning. Yeah. And guess what? You got to live through it. And I feel like man, 
that's just a whole other topic. But yeah, you know what I'm saying? I just think it's well, dangerous. I'd go even farther and say life is so good here that we have told ourselves that is it, it is important to be happy all the time. Right. And I actually think I think it's unrealistic. And I don't it's I think it's unhealthy. Yeah. You're, you can't be happy all the time. Like you're not supposed to be happy is supposed to be on one extreme of the emotional spectrum. You know, listen, I look at it like this, bringing it back to wrestling, because I want to ask you one I more wrestling, wrestling question. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I cut from 171 to 140. And that sucked. I mean, that was a miserable cut. And you're so depleted. You're so miserable. You make weight. And that first sip of orange juice or Gatorade or whatever your thing was is the best orange juice you've ever tasted in your entire life. It is the happiest. Like somebody could be like, listen, man, you can either have this glass of orange juice or like you can date this supermodel or I'll give you a million dollars. I want the orange juice because... <laughs> My like there is nothing that you want more when you are that dry, depleted, empty than that orange. The other stuff doesn't matter. It is yeah. visceral. You don't get that happiness in anything in your life unless you've paid the price for it. Contentment, comfort is not happiness. I have a big screen TV. I have a nice couch. I have a nice house. That is not happiness. Happiness comes from accomplishing something meaningful to include having a great family. I think, too, having a purpose also. Yes. Right? It gives life some meaning, but mm -hmm. just because you have purpose doesn't mean every day is perfect. That's right. In fact, if you have purpose, it rarely is perfect. Right. Because purpose uh, presents problems. Right. And you're doing something that's greater than you. Mm -hmm. Right? It's it's more important than just, and and yeah, it just it's an interesting interesting topic. But. Yeah. Have you ever thought to yourself, this chicken that I've prepared tastes like, well, chicken? And then you realize that adding salt and pepper to your food isn't enough. It's a sad and pathetic attempt at cooking meat. And you start wondering if you've wasted your whole life. If every day up until now was futile, just the end of a burned out matchstick, still smoldering as the light leaves you for all time. Well, that's okay. The first step to fixing your problem is admitting that you have one. Dead Bird Barbecue is here to help. With nine different rubs available, you literally cannot go wrong preparing your meat. These rubs are idiot-proof. Lather your meat in this devilishly delicious rub, and it's guaranteed to make all your friends and family ask you for your recipe, which, of course, you will gatekeep like the little bee that you are. Let them keep using salt and pepper. Flavor country will be your domain. Got the rub but don't know how to prepare your meat? Dead Bird Barbecue still has you covered. They offer a 15 step-by-step -step video with courses on their website. Courses that normally go up for $1.2 million, but Dead Bird Barbecue offers them for a fraction of a price. Visit deadbirdbarbecue.com to get the rubs you need and the skills to prepare them. That's deadbirdbarbecue.com. We're, we're, we're both going to just talk forever if, if I don't bring this to a close. Yeah, bring us back. I've got one wrestling question for you. Okay. What is the craziest situation that has come into your life 
from wrestling. It can be you were wrestling. It can be a wrestling trip. You've gone everywhere from Raleigh to Dagestan and back again uh, on your career. What's the craziest moment in your career? I'm trying to think of which which one to share and what parts if, if to share. If you've got two, you're you're welcome to share two. So all right. <laughs> He's like, it's gonna be the goat. <laughs> <laughs> there is no goat. <laughs> so, all right, there's one in Dagestan, Russia, that I was not a part of, but a group of the guys that were on tour were a part of, and they just shared when they got back from dinner. And then there's one in Kazakhstan that I was a part of, and so I'll share both. The one in Kazakhstan, um, it was me and a couple other guys um, who were out there. And we had gone out to this restaurant to eat, but uh, <clears throat> we ended up staying out late, probably like 10, 11 in, in Kazakhstan, and we don't speak the language. Mm -hmm. We're American, yeah. we speak English, and yeah. for whatever reason, yeah. Americans only want to know one language. When yeah. Every other part of the world knows two to three. Yep. Something we got to get better at. But um, I think... There was not like an altercation, but there was a, a situation or a scenario where one of the wrestlers that was out with us at the restaurant um, had kind of gotten into it with some local people outside the restaurant. And it was starting to get heated to the point where we had to get this one individual to come back inside. And it's tough. If you're if you're in a country that yeah. ends with Stan. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. They take stuff seriously. Yeah, very personally. And it's not you don't have casual Right. Yeah. And so they were upset and they were voicing their concern about <laughs> why they were upset. And one of the wrestlers that we were with just wasn't having. It. He was like, We did nothing, blah blah blah. You're upset for no reason, et cetera, et cetera. Like yeah. this is ridiculous. Just we're not able to come to a disagreement. Then you got the language barrier. So yeah. then <clears throat> our guy comes back inside. We're going to calm down. We're enjoying ourselves. We forget about it. The guy, the guys who are from Kazakhstan leave and come back with more people. Of course. Yeah. And they're waiting outside the restaurant for us to leave. Yeah. We have the, the restaurant owner essentially tells us what's going on and says, you guys are going to have to sneak out the back because of whatever like he just didn't think that the situation was going to go well. Yeah. Granted, we're world class wrestlers. We're probably not the guys you want to get in a physical altercation with. Physical altercation with. But you don't know what they have. But man. we don't know what they have, yeah. right? And we're yeah. thinking like at the very least knives or something. At like the that. very least, or right? A goat. Or a goat. Yeah. Or a, or an attack right? goat. Yeah. So now there's this group of us sneaking through. We we get a driver that they get to the 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 back of the restaurant. Yeah. We are now sneaking through the kitchen, like going through whatever. Yeah. We open the door. We're all sprinting, stuffing into this car. And then we speed off past the guys who are waiting out front for us who don't know we're sneaking through the back. Yeah. And we're going back to the hotel, and that was it. But I'm just like, what? <laughs> we're in freaking Kazakhstan. And like, yeah. out of all the situations that end up in, how did we end up in this? And I just thought it was like, one of my crazier stories from just being overseas as like a training partner for world championships. Dude, I just find that like Americans do not, Americans don't travel enough to know right. danger. Right. I really believe that. Yeah. Like if you're in certain parts of the world, you just have to be like my bad. Yes. 
even if it's like, even if you're like, I could crush this guy. Right. He's got 43 friends, right. knives, guns, you know, and, and in some of these societies, honor, ego, whatever you want to oh, call yeah. it, it's a big thing. It's not. Yeah. It's culturally embedded. Yeah. Like somebody pushes yeah. me in a bar now. I'm like, eh, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's fine. You're in Kazakhstan. Yeah. yeah. So that was one. And then another one was. I wasn't a part of this, but we were in Dagestan. And, uh, Another stand. Yeah. They love wrestlers, though. They love yep. American wrestlers. Yep. And so we got treated so well. Uh, I would actually like to go back just because we had such a great experience. And the training uh, facility was awesome. They treated us so well. Uh, the people were so welcoming. Yep. Always wanted to take yeah. pictures and asking for, like, little gifts. And so we'd give them some of the USA gear or trade, mm -hmm. like with some of the other yeah. wrestlers and yeah, get yeah. some Russian gear, whatever it is. We obviously had some really good wrestlers on the trip. Yep. And so they wanted to take some of us out to eat. And I didn't end up going out to eat, but they took some of the, the guys out to eat. And I guess they got, like, connected with uh, somebody from Habib Nurmagomedov's group. And yeah. I don't think he was there. But basically... They get in this car and they take him to go meet these people. And then they switch from the car into like a bulletproof to like Toyota yep. Land Cruiser. Yep. The guy's like taking the pistol off his hip, put it on the center console. There's a car in front of the vehicle, a car in the back of the vehicle. They go sit at this restaurant. Everybody got out of the restaurant for them to go sit. They had two guys armed at the front door while everybody was eating. And this is like a big group of USA wrestlers sent with this guy who just wanted to eat with everybody. Yeah. And they have a blast. And uh, then they leave and come back. But one of the stories was one of my guys, one of my buddies was telling me that uh, <clears throat> one of the wrestlers was messing with another one of my buddies. Um, and uh, he was basically just telling him, like, hey, uh, if you don't eat, like, all the food, they take it very disrespectfully. So... <laughs> Like, genuinely, if I were you, I'd make sure that you clean your plate. And so, like, already this guy's, like, nervous as all get out because there's freaking guys with yeah. two rifles yeah, yeah. sitting at the front door, yeah. the whole situation. So, basically, this one wrestler said he was stuffing his face the whole time trying to make sure he ate everything, sweating his ass off, just, like, <laughs> so uncomfortable, wouldn't stop eating until they left because he was so worried about pissing the guy off. Yep. It was all made up. Like, they didn't care at all. So it's just like, it's just kind of funny, though. But that was kind of crazy. I'm just like, man. Oh, and I'm that. just sitting back in the hotel hanging out, and they tell me all this when, I, when they get back, and I'm just like, I love that's the, wild. I love those moments. That's crazy. I love those moments. Yeah, My so favorite thing to do is to set people up like that. <laughs> all yeah, right. He got set up. All right. Sure. Rapid fire questions. My favorite. Always the first one. Are you ready? Ready. What is the toughest animal that you think that you could defeat in hand-to-hand -hand combat? I saw on the internet this one guy, like, choked out a mountain lion. Uh-huh. And I was like, all right, if he could do that, I could probably do that. Did I don't you, know Did how. you see the mountain lion, though? No. It was like a juvenile. It was like 40 pounds. Okay, so a 40-pound <laughs> mountain lion. I can choke out a 40-pound mountain lion. Maybe okay. not a full-grown one, but that's the first thing my, my mind goes to. Okay, that was pretty reasonable. I just want you to know because... What we have learned is that our guests think that they could take out some significant animals. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I can definitely take out a goat. I know that much. 
What kind of goat? Goats are tough. Did you yeah, see that? Sure. Did you see that goat that got hit by the snow leopard and dragged like 300 feet to the ground and was still yeah. alive? The one that jumped off the mountain? Yeah. I did see that. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, that is all, true. Yeah. The snow leopard killed it, but like at the bottom. Yeah. But the thing was still alive at the bottom. You know, I wouldn't be. I'd be dead. <laughs> you know? I mean, you'd probably live, but I don't know about you know, that. But you'd yeah. be hurting. You know, for sure. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't sleep on a goat. You know, they're they're so tough. We're talking like longhorn sheep, ibex. <laughs> All right. Um, Forty pound mountain lion, though. I feel like that's a good, yeah. solid answer. I think. I think you might even be able to take a fifty fiver. All right, I'll take that. You know, I'll take that. All right. Um, what about you? Oh, flipping it around. <laughs> Adolescent black bear. Oh, adolescent. So it's that's a good one. So it's 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 like you still kind of look like like a beast a little bit. Yeah, you know like, I mean? like it's still a bear. Yeah, it's still a bear, yeah, but yeah. it's only like 150 pounds. Right. It doesn't have like the real claws yet. Yeah, you know? and it doesn't really like yeah have and, that and mean streak to yeah, it. Yet. And it doesn't really eat meat, so it's not it's not coming at yeah. me like that. Nice. And I could probably spook it a bit with some strikes. You yeah, know? no, that's uh, good. Yeah, you know what the worst part of uh, adolescent bear is. Mom, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they bail on them by then. Oh, do they? They bail oh, on them by then. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. No, I've thought this okay. through. I've thought this through. You notice I didn't say bear cub. After the bailing. Yeah, like they bail on them. They're on their own. They're about a, a buck 25. Like, that's my window. <laughs> um, all right. We are going to restart your life at 18 years old. Okay. We're going to wipe your memory of everything that you know. Except for one thing. What's the one thing you're keeping? Uh, what are you looking to me for? I don't know. It's just a crazy <laughs> question. Yeah. Um, dang. You know, wrestle with it a little bit. <laughs> I see what you did there. It's one skill, right? One skill. You get to keep I one still, skill. Okay, one skill. Okay, you said everything. I'm like, do I remember how to breathe? Well, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you. Yeah. So basically, like, you have amnesia. You have amnesia. Okay. Except you know your name. Yep. And you get, you get to keep one skill, and the rest you're starting over from zero. What's the one skill you're keeping? Cannot be wrestling. I was just about you to say. You can't, you, can't, you can't tell them that. I had to take the easiest thing away. <laughs> yeah, that would have been the easiest answer. Um, All right, we'll say other than wrestling, because Kelsey off screen has, has <laughs> apparently hates the sport. Um, cooking. Cooking. Yeah. So you can cook. Sort of. Well, we, we probably need. No, nah, I can kind of. We need to get bit. you to cook something if you're. If yeah. That's the thing you're keeping. That's cool. All right. Yeah, I like to eat, man. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. You are God of America for a day. Jeez. You can fundamentally change one thing that will permanently stay that way, to make the country better. What is it? People have to be involved in some sort of physical activity, like mandatory extracurricular. I like that. Have to be. I like that. If you were running for office. Oh, geez. What would be your number one platform item? Um, Something that incentivizes a commitment to the family. Kind of like we were talking about, I just think that's got a tremendous amount of value. Not necessarily something that forced people to stay in a situation they shouldn't be in, but some sort of policy that incentivizes uh, an emphasis on creating and maintaining a strong family, healthy household. I think that just 
it would be beneficial across the board. All right. Um, yeah. All right, team, any other quick rapid-fire questions for our guest? Is you remember the goat's name? <laughs> uh, Bobby. <laughs> what would you have said to that former self of yours that was kicking through a door frustrated that he just lost that wrestling match? Just keep, I don't know. Just don't be a wuss. Yeah. I don't. My my <laughs> last. All right. My last question. I've been I've been challenging Gwiz on Twitter for years to, nice. a, to a wrestling. Gwiz match. has got some good Twitter he, activity. He has he, he has, has yet to take activity. me up on on that match. Uh, you know how badly do you think I will beat him when we finally when we finally wrestle? Probably at least a major decision. I think you would bonus point Gwiz. You think um, so? Should we do folk or free? What's I think you would bonus point him either way. I think you get eight point eight point lead freestyle for sure. Um, he's kind of big. He is very he, bearish. Yeah, yeah, he is. So he's easy to roll. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I think you could get him to ex expose a couple times. Uh, folk style, I just don't see him getting him up off the bottom. I yeah, think. I just, I'd just ride Torch him down. Him right? He probably yeah. couldn't, couldn't no. get up from this yeah. kind of heat. Right. Yeah. Especially well, if you could take like an adolescent bear down. Yeah. I don't think you have a problem with Gwiz. I think, see, we're so aligned on this. Right. I'm glad we, yeah. we closed Gwiz on that. Gwiz himself note. is kind of like an adolescent bear. <laughs> his, you know, like just left the 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 group on his own, yep. you know, out in New York now. Yeah, I know. You know, so, so. he would a good preliminary bear match for him. Yeah, he would actually. <laughs> I think so. I think he would, yeah, bonus point at least. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, of course. Mike Machiavello, great guest. Thanks so much for coming on the program. We really appreciate it, man. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, man.